Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board-certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy, because we're bad therapists too, we are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So, Ali, what would you say is one of the trickiest parts of our job as therapists? I would definitely say mandated reporting. For those of us who work with children or we work with adults who talk about children, which is, I feel like, almost everybody. (laughs) Also, not just children, but vulnerable populations like elderly and vulnerable adults. Mm -hmm. Yep, it is so tricky because it is, you know, based in wanting to protect those vulnerable populations, but sometimes it can create a very big rupture in the therapeutic alliance. And walking that tight line between protecting others and upholding our legal and ethical standards, as well as helping our identified client, when those two go against each other, it puts us in the trickiest of situations. And we're gonna hear from Jenna today, who was with us earlier this year, sharing a different story. But today she is sharing a situation where she has to make a mandated report. And when she informs her client, her client hangs up on her. I know, it's such a good story and the ending might not be what you're expecting it to be. So make sure to tune in until the very end to hear how this plays out. 
And just a reminder that this episode, as well as all of our other episodes, are not a substitute for therapy itself, clinical consultation, or ethical guidance. All right. Well, this is episode number 43 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Jenna, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be back. And for those of you who missed Jenna's first episode, you must go back and listen to it. It is episode number... I think 16, maybe? And it was called Sip Happens. Yes, Sip Happens. Go back and check out how Jenna encountered one of her clients while out on a, a little... Uh, not wine tour, but a little festival. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just Jenna is back to share with us a new bad therapist story. So Jenna, for our listeners who did not catch your first episode, fill us in and tell us a little, ba- little bit about yourself. Yeah. So um, I am licensed in both Illinois and Ohio right now. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor, update since last time. Um in Ohio. And so that's where I work. I work in community mental health, um, a lot of kids and like teens and young adults and um, a lot of like trauma, anxiety. So a little bit of everything, but that's really what I focus on. Yes, definitely. Well, again, we're so excited to have you back. Um, So what is your second story that you want to share with us and our listeners? Yeah. So this story, it's actually my very first client after internship. So it was my very first client after I was hired like as a licensed therapist. And um, so we had started working together. Um, it was a little bit like there were some like risk factors and things like that. They had just come out of the hospital. Um, and then we were building rapport and kind of going along, helping helping things move along. Um, so this story happened two months in to working together. And um, this, we're in the thick of COVID. So mm, this oh, wow. particular session was actually over the phone, not even video, phone, um, which I ended up being really grateful for because then I didn't have to control my facial reactions. Silver <laughs> um, lining. Yeah, exactly. Um, and kind of seeing the, the, the wheels and gears shifting in my head. So it was a typical session. We were going on um, about what we had been working on. And then kind of towards the end of session, at least that's how I remember it. Maybe it's just because I was panicking. But um, my client brought up something that I was like, is this a mandated report? Um, She had brought up something like involving her partner and um, they had a young child. And so I was like, okay. And I'm, you know, as we often do, in our jobs, I was trying to actively listen and respond to the client and, and assess at the same time and decide like, is this warranted? Do I need to make a call? And trying to hold all of that in my mind all at one time. And so we've wrapped up session and I hung up and it was almost like, that's the clarity I needed was not to have to be multitasking as much because as soon as we hung up, I, I knew, like, I need to call. I need to make Mm. this call. Um, And then I was debating, do I call my client back? Do I tell them first? Do I call CPS first? Um, 
And this was actually, even though it was only two months in, was actually the second mandated report I had made um, at the agency. And with the first one, it was a very different situation. It was a teenager, um, but one of the supervisors had told me to call and make the report first, see the outcome, and then tell the family. So I decided to take that route. Um, So I called and I made the report, gave them the information. And they were like, yep, we're going to accept the case. And that was like, that was my first oh shit moment. (laughs) Oh, no. Because I was like, okay, now I have to tell my client. And um, so I was like, okay, I have time. So at this point, I looked and my next client was here. But I was like, that's okay. My client's at work. Um, It's not like they're going to send a caseworker out right now. Like, I have time. I'll call after this client. And then, of course, this is always how it happens. I had like four back-to-back clients. So I didn't have time to call until that evening. So then I was feeling anxious. I was like trying to ground myself, take a few deep breaths. um, And I called my client back and they were sobbing, like hysterical panic attack, could not catch their breath. And I was like, what's wrong? They said, somebody called CPS and, you know, I'm going to lose my child. And they, I was working and they called my phone and then the caseworker showed up at the house and my partner was there. And so it was like all the things I didn't think would happen happened in the span of like four hours. Like they really, they were on it. I can't believe that they were so fast. (laughs) I know that's, I was like, am I just being judgmental? Like, am I? bias that I didn't think it would happen this fast. Um, but kudos to CPS. Right. Yeah, huge absolutely. kudos to CPS. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, they got on it. So wow. I gained a lot of respect for them <laughs> through it. Um, so because my client was mid panic attack, we were trying to like deep breathing, grounding. And then they go, Oh, the caseworker's calling, I have to go. I just wait. I like shouted, wait. I knew I could not let them get off the phone twice without telling them. So I said, I called. Um, I called earlier. (laughs) I know. Um, I said, given the information, you know, you gave me, I had to call. I'm sorry that it happened this way. I was hoping I could tell you. Um, So I'm really sorry about that. And there was just absolute silence on the other end of the phone oh no so wait I have to ask yeah did they I mean they were like mid panic attack so we know we don't rationally think during that moment but Mm. I was wondering like did they wonder why you were calling them that's what I thought like and I don't know like I was thinking would do they suspect it was me because they gave me this information and coincidentally a few hours later CPS calls them yeah. So, um, and then you yeah. call them back. And then yeah. I call them back. Yeah. Out of the blue. Out of the blue. Um, it just happened to be mid panic attack. So I, I do not think that they were thinking rationally, which yeah. is understandable given oh, the situation. Course. But I was thinking the same thing. So, yeah, just silence. <laughs> and then they go, I have to go. And they just hung up. Well, that's the worst. <laughs> what was going through your head when they hung up the phone? 
I was thinking they are never coming back for sure. This is the last time I've spoken to them. I really broke this rapport that we had for these two months and the work we were doing and, you know, and, and those risk factors, like I had said, and, uh, were coming up in the back of my mind. I was worried. You were worried. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was worried for them. So here you are, you knew you needed, you knew the the ethical, legal, and right thing to do was to make this CPS report. And so you made it, you thought, I mean, given, what were your past experiences making CPS reports like? Were they, did they take a while to get investigated? <laughs> yes, they did. They did, which is what I was kind of going off of for this one. Um, so, so you yeah, had some my... time to inform the the client that, right. they, that you made the report, that they might be investigated. You did not think it would happen also quickly within the span of four hours. Right, right. That's, I think this was the one and only time that that happened to my knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think so many of us can relate to the situation you're in where we know we need to make a report as, as, you know, our legal and ethical standards, you know, mandate us to keep any vulnerable population safe from harm. And but it also, you know, even though we're mandated to do this, it puts a lot of pressure and puts some risk into the therapeutic relationship, our work with our client. Right. We're making a report sometimes for, you know, sometimes our client is the is the victim, but sometimes our client is not the victim and we're protecting someone other than our client. But yet we still have a responsibility as the provider and the therapist to our client to continue to help them and work with them in whatever way we can. So it puts you on this, you know, tightrope walk of needing to protect a vulnerable population and repair or at least preserve what's left of the therapeutic relationship. So many of us. Ellie, can you relate to that? I can absolutely oh relate my gosh. to that. Yeah. I am earlier in my career worked exclusively with kids pretty much for the first like four to five years of my career. Mm -hmm. I've had to make many reports. Um, when I did community mental health, I was working in a very um, like challenging area and I was making multiple reports a week and it does impact it. And it's rough too, because then I feel like it has that potential where a client feels like they can't be open and honest mm -hmm. anymore. Sometimes right. where it's like, well, I can't say these things. I can't talk about this because this is like a negative repercussion. And that makes also a very tricky dynamic where it's like, well, no, I still want you to be honest with me, but like, I also still have to file <laughs> if it's right. a thing. So I feel yeah. like we're like saying very like disconnected, yeah. incongruent things. But it's what we have to do. And it's just so challenging, I think, for us to navigate and difficult for people to understand as well. It's just so, so tricky. Right. Yeah. That's how I feel even in the beginning, explaining, especially to children, but to all my clients. Of, like, this doesn't mean you can't tell me these things. I want you to. And just so you know, I'll have to, you know, loop somebody else in. Yeah. But it, it was definitely one of those situations that it was the right thing to do. And I knew it was the right thing to do. And I never regretted making the call. I regretted how it happened. Um, but it's one of those parts of our jobs that it was the right thing to do. And it still did not and, feel good. <laughs> yes. And yeah. it still created this rupture. This rupture, Tell yeah. Me, uh, what was your relationship with this client like before the report? It was actually... Yeah, we had worked together for about two months and it it was good. We had a good relationship, a good working relationship, and they were on it. They would, like, you call them first ring, they answered, never ever missed an appointment. 
always right there on time, engaged in session, like ready to make change. They had previous experience in therapy and had returned um, at like this point in their life, mm-hmm. given the circumstances. So, but I thought we were building good rapport. And that was another thing that I was thinking about was like, I've, I've ruined that. I threw two months of um, rapport out the window. Oh. And it yeah. sounds like they Go were ahead, kind Catherine. of a, a, an ideal client to work with. I mean, everyone wants that client who shows up, answers the phone, is engaged, motivated, kind of has that insight already built from previous therapy work. Like that is, oh, that's such a loss for you too. You know, right. when the rupture happens, it's not just a rupture on the client's end. We also feel the rupture. We feel the break. Mm-hmm. We feel the disconnect. And it sits with us, too. What was mm-hmm. it like for you to sit with that rupture when they, when they hung up the phone saying, I have to go? Yeah. Like I said, it was, I was convinced they are never, ever coming back. And I was really sad. I was really sad, sad um, for the relationship and our work together. And felt like a bad therapist because of the way it happened and um, that we wouldn't have that closure that that was literally the last time I was going to speak to them was I have to go click. Mm. Um, And, and I was worried for them just given the circumstances and Mm -hmm. um, they were still two months post hospital. There were dynamics in the relationship. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Worried Mm -hmm. about them too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mixed emotions. Oh my gosh. Well, I wanted to ask before we get into the next piece of the story, you had mentioned that you had been given like kind of the guidance to mm-hmm. um, not tell them until after you call. And I was actually mm-hmm. given similar advice and guidance when I was early on in my career. Um, but then I was given the guidance of like, well, it depends, you know, like sometimes, you sure. know, there's like that imminent rest, risk and danger, you know, it might not always be appropriate to let them know. Um, but then when I could, I was encouraged to like call with families if I could or, you know, have them in the process and all of those things. So now how or like since that happened, how do you handle like informing clients of a report? Yeah. So similarly, it's right. The all all famous. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> I it, this situation definitely made me think about it a lot more. That's something that I learned was I need to be prepared. I need to at least think about it ahead of time and like what is best and balancing that rapport versus the mandation to report and protect the child in the situation and and all of those things. So it, I do handle it differently with each client. I find myself with minor clients when they're underage. I tend to tell them. And I don't know if I just feel more comfortable doing that because typically they are the one I'm then mm-hmm. protecting. Mm-hmm. It is harder when, and my client was not directly involved. It was more their partner, but were, was peripherally involved and I had to call nonetheless. But I do find it more difficult to be open and honest when I'm like, it feels like I'm calling against them and I'm going against them, which course is not what I want them to feel is not the the purpose and I understand it can feel that way for the client yeah mm-hmm. absolutely oh my so, goodness. but it is that all depends the worst answer but it's so true like we can't generalize it really is like that case right. by case basis doesn't make it and it makes it harder to explain too because it's like you can't really say in the intake like oh I'll let you know if I have to call because yeah. that's not always appropriate right right may or may not let you know it's 
banter I hated in grad school. <laughs> it depends, but the more I am in the field, the more I realize it does depend. It it always depends. Absolutely. Jenna, so here you are, you just got not hung up on, but abruptly ended by a client after you informed them that you had, you in fact had been the one that made the CPA, the Child and Protective Services report that then initiated an investigation into her child. Um, What happens next? You think you're not going to see this patient again or this client Mm -hmm. again, did you? So we had an appointment scheduled in two weeks, which was actually very poor timing because up until then we had been seeing each other weekly, but my caseload was picking up and I didn't have time. And so prior to, during the session, prior to me informing the client that I made the report, I had added them to my my cancellation list. So lo and behold, I got a cancellation the next week. (laughs) So they were the first one I called and no answer. And like I said, very abnormal for the client. (laughs) So I left a message and, you know, said, I have this opening, feel free to give me a call back. Otherwise I'll see you next week. Then the next week came and I truly did not expect them to come. By that point, I had really resonated with the fact that I was never going to see this client again. So I was just sitting in my office doing whatever and it popped up on my screen. The client was there. (laughs) Right. Or not. What went through your head? Were you like, oh shit, or this is great. Or That was my second oh shit moment. (laughs) (laughs) Because I had not prepared for that. I was prepared. Now I have to repair. Right. I was prepared. I was prepared for the follow-up call and the, I understand if you'd want transferred, feel free to call the front desk or call my supervisor. I was not prepared to sit in front of the client and confront it after I had made the call. Work with the content. Yeah. 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 So So they showed up though, which again, I think speaks to like, this was challenging and it did cause a rupture, but I think it does loop back to the rapport that you built because they easily could have not shown up. Like it very, like, man, you were, and I feel like my mindset would have been the same of like, I'd be absolutely shocked if this client does come to the appointment. So it does speak to the rapport. So you clicked, start the session, whatever your button says, (laughs) what happened after that? So... Yeah, they came in. It was actually an in-person appointment that time. So they came in. They're sitting in my office. And I said, so this is the first time we've talked since, you know, I made the report. How are you feeling? How are you feeling towards me? Kind of update me on what's going on with, with CPS. And they said, yeah, I was really mad at you at first. That's why I didn't answer your call last week, (laughs) confirming my suspicions. And they said, and then I realized that you did the you did what you had to do. Um, you don't have a choice. Wow. You had to make the report. You were doing it for my daughter, um, and so yeah, here I am. I'm back, and I want to continue working with you. Oh my gosh, that makes me feel so wow. emotional right now. Hearing that <laughs> response, I know. I think I might have like teared up. <laughs> Let's pause here for a quick ad break. So, Catherine, do you ever wish that you could just sometimes have a friend to talk to about a book? <laughs> Actually, Ellie, no. No, I can't relate to that. I've never, never really wanted to talk to anyone about something I've read. 
However, I am really excited to meet all of our listeners because you all are invited to our first ever free public book club through the Teletherapist Network. I know. I am a bookworm, so maybe that is more niche to me and my interests, but this still is such an amazing opportunity for us to all connect as a community between the Teletherapist Network, our listeners here on Am I a Bad Therapist, and the book is amazing. We are reading Glow in the Effing Dark, Tara Schuster's highly anticipated second book after her first, Buy Yourself the Effing Lilies. If you haven't read Lilies yet, you need to pick it up. And we're going to read Glow together when it comes out at the end of February. So now is the time to register for free for our free public book club. We are going to be having a private community just for therapists to read and discuss Glow in the Effing Dark together. And as a special treat, Tara Schuster herself is going to join us at the end of March for a private book club discussion with just us. Which is amazing. Like, this does not happen. I hope people can realize, like, she is such an incredible author. She's huge. Her books are amazing. And the fact that she's going to join the conversation, even if you've never joined a book club, never really wanted to, this is the one to pick up. This is the one to do. And Allie and I personally cannot wait to meet you inside. So register either in the links below or at teletherapistnetwork.com and we will follow up with more information closer to the community's launch at the beginning of March. Well, let's loop back to the show. I have chills because so often, I don't know if I've ever encountered that that level of insight into how we feel forced to make where we are, where our hands are tied Mm -hmm. to make these, make these reports, even with the negative, knowing we want to make the reports to protect the vulnerable populations, but also our hands are tied. It comes with negative consequences sometimes. And to have that insight and ability to take our perspective and realize that that's, that's amazing. Amazing for your client. It really does show that level of insight and motivation to continue the work. Absolutely. Yeah. They wanted to be in the work and they, it, it was a really good example. Obviously this has a happy ending. We, the stories don't always do, especially with things like this. Um, But they, they wanted to continue the work and they had that insight. And I think, you know, which I was grateful for because I said, you hit the nail on the head, right? Like that is how I, I felt. (laughs) I felt torn. I, And it's always that scale, that balancing of the rapport and holding that and holding the relationship versus having to report and having to protect the children. And so it's hard. And I'm glad that my client realized that. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And I just I think it's so interesting too, like thinking how you were saying they came in and we have to think about how to address this, right? Because I feel like my instinct as a person, as a human, is just to be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, like blah, 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 and just like spew words from my mouth to try to like, you know, give that justification or try to get that understanding. Um, and I feel like that balance too, especially if you're not really ready for it, is like, oh my gosh, like do I just like leave it open and give them the space mm-hmm. to talk, which I'm glad you did because then you got that incredible response mm-hmm. and that insight. How do you feel like you managed like in this situation or others, like just thinking about how to address it? Like when someone comes in the room, you have to think about repairing a rupture. Mm-hmm. How do you get your brain around that? It was difficult. And I, I wanted to be very cautious not to say, like you said, Allie, not to jump into it. I'm so sorry I called. I'm not sorry I called. 
so it, like I said, I never regretted calling. Mm-hmm. So I was very careful in choosing my words and saying, I am sorry about the way that it happened. I, in the future, I actually did say this um, to this client in particular. I said, in the future, if something like this comes up again, I will let you know before I make the report. Um, and I just felt, especially given the feedback that they had just given me, <laughs> that they were back and that they wanted to continue working together. Of course, keeping in mind they could change their mind um, should another report come or for any reason, that's always their right. But I was very careful not to say, oh, I'm so sorry I called. Because mm-hmm. that was my my instinct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I love how you stayed authentic to, you know, what you felt was right to your ethical obligations and you were transparent about that. And that probably was a major factor in helping repair that rupture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you owned your piece and the client sounds like they owned theirs. And where did your work go from, from that point forward? If you can share, I guess, you know, an overview general, did you continue to work together for a long time? What was that like? Yeah. So actually in just, it just so happened I had supervision the next morning after the, the call had been made. So, and I, going back to it, I was really torn up about it. I mean, because the client was so upset and like, they had let out this like ear piercing scream that I'm not a parent, but I can only imagine is like when you turn around in the grocery store and your child's gone. And mm-hmm. that's what they said was like, I've, I don't want to lose my child. And so I had empathy in that way. So, I mean, it kept me up that night. I was like, I could hear the scream in my head. So the next morning I went to supervision and I was like, here's what happened. And it was actually a really good supervision moment. Um, There's so many like, happy and like good points in this story that like I said don't doesn't always happen but my supervisor said of course yes Jenna you made the right decision that's a situation that needs reported and one of two things is going to happen they are never going to come back (laughs) and or they'll call they'll call me and ask to be transferred if you know CPS mandates it or whatever or this is going to be a turning point in their life Mm -hmm. and they're going to learn and grow from this and I was kind of like, yeah, right. They're never coming back. <laughs> yeah, right. The third one. No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So as we know, they did come back. And I actually, they are still my client. I saw them earlier this week. Um, it's been two years almost to the day <laughs> of that wow. report. And they're still my client. And so several months, and we've talked about it a few, a few times. It's come up. But several months after that, the report, they came in and they weren't even sitting yet. They were, I don't think the door was closed. They said, Jenna, I have something to tell you. And I was like, what? They said, I'm getting a divorce. I left. I picked up my daughter and I left. That, (laughs) that it was really a turning point for me when you made that report. And I realized that that is not somebody I want around my child. And so um, after, you know, these months of consideration, I, I took her and we're gone and I'm filing for divorce. I have chills over my entire body right now. That <laughs> I, is crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that report was a huge intervention, mm-hmm. huge intervention. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and, Jenna. <laughs> accidentally, but it ended up being really great grist for the mouth. How, 
I love that phrase, by the way. How how does it feel sitting here now sharing with all of us and seeing Allie and my reactions to the fact that you, you, your report, what you did was such a catalyst, a turning point in someone else's lives, let alone a patient, just someone, another human's mm-hmm. life. How does that feel? I mean, I think you can tell by the look on my face. I'm so happy and so excited. And honestly, mandating report or mandated, made, mandated reporting <laughs> is, I think, understandably the least, my least favorite part of my job. And it's not something that I necessarily expected to be so difficult for me. But early in my career, it really, really was. I think I saw it as like, I'm protecting the kids. And I knew I wanted to work with kids. But I don't think I considered the flip side of what if you're working with a parent. Um, So yeah, so like I said, it is more often than not, not a happy ending. Um, The report doesn't, you know, the investigation doesn't happen, or they do leave and never come back. So the fact that this client has stuck with me for the last two years. We continue to do really great work. And occasionally it does come up, um, which is why I felt comfortable coming on the podcast and talking about it because they, the client and I have discussed it several times and it's something that, you know, is comfortable in their life. And it is, it's obviously that helps with the feeling of being a bad therapist when they kind of give you that feedback. Yeah. And I also recognize they left, right? I didn't say, now you need to get a divorce. <laughs> so I give credit to them as well for making that choice. But it, it does feel good to be that catalyst. Oh, I say this a lot. Um, I shouldn't say a lot. I have said it often with some of the uh, interns I supervise that sometimes just modeling the appropriate reaction mm-hmm to certain situations, like any risk situations, modeling the appropriate reaction, like calling the authorities, making a report, doing a safety plan, calling a hospital, like just modeling the right or or the appropriate reaction is such an intervention to some clients. Mm -hmm. They don't have people around them who are modeling the right reactions to these situations, to these dangerous situations. Mm -hmm. You you did it, you know, looking back, maybe you would do it differently now, or maybe that's a question for you, but you know, you did it and it was really successful. Mm -hmm. I know you say you're right. You know, often it doesn't turn out this successful, but this is, these cases are the, why, why we are mandated to do this, to protect the children and, and have the appropriate responses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it's having this experience, I think, like I said, kudos to CPS workers. It's a job I could never do. I promise you that. I work with children every day and it is a job I could never do. So I just have so much respect. And I think through this experience, I've gained respect for them and all the work that they do. Um, So it's having this experience, I think, gives me more of that like evidence of, there are times it turns out right. This is, I went into this field to help people and I am doing that, right? It doesn't always feel that way. Um, and I had the thought, even if my client were to never come back, of yes, of course I did the right thing. I did the thing I quote unquote had to do, but I also did the right thing. And by like Catherine, like you said, having I I protected that child no matter what. And, Mm -hmm. and even before my client left um, her marriage, 
the CPS had stepped in and done, you know, there were safety measures and things like that. And so the child was protected and that that's obviously the ideal outcome. Yes. Well, I'm so happy too that you brought this story because we do often hear about, you know, the stories mm-hmm. that didn't go so well or that, you know, were difficult to repair, all of those things. And we have so many um, like student listeners, we get feedback mm-hmm. like a lot of clinicians in addition to, you know, seasoned clinicians. But I feel like this is just, like you said, such a great example of it doesn't always turn out poorly. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't always have to go wrong. Like it can really be good, positive change and all of those things. Like aside from, like you said, that you're helping, you're protecting like, all of that. It's even though we know that, like we've talked about, it still doesn't always feel great or it feels mm-hmm. very scary, very intimidating. So hopefully our listeners can just have this additional perspective that it really can be powerful in any way. But in this situation, it was such a positive outcome. So that's, I feel like so encouraging even now, mm-hmm. like, well, into my career, I'm like, oh, these are the stories that I need on the days where I feel like I'm yes. struggling. Yeah. Where I'm like, <laughs> yes. this job is hard. And hearing these stories, like, this is why I do this work. Like, this is why I do the hard work. And I just love hearing, you know, this perspective on it. Right. Yeah. I need like a sticky note reminder of this on those hard days. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Actually, in front of I think I've told Catherine this. And so I'm facing a wall in my office. I have a huge bulletin board that I look at every single day that has like any note from I've ever gotten from a client, like any card, any stories that really stick out. And it literally looks me in the face every single day that I work because sometimes we really need those reminders. Mm-hmm. Because some days are so hard and I just will stare at it and be like, this is why I do this work. Like these are the good things that can happen. So I would say make that sticky note, put it somewhere mm-hmm. and remind yourself on the days that feel hard. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It feels good. Even when earlier this week I had another client, a, a little, a little like little boy that in the waiting room, they were, he was drawing something. And then I was like, oh, don't forget your butterfly. And he was like, no, that's for you. And I was like, oh, I love that. That's so, yeah. so special. <laughs> well, Jenna, so thinking about if uh, someone listening was going through this experience, whether having to make a mandated report, um, having made one and didn't inform the family, any of the possibilities, what advice would you give to them? Yeah. So first and foremost, like I said, I definitely logistically, I thought more about how am I going to make mandated reports, even though I don't have a clear, this is my policy. I think it's important for people to consider and think ahead until rather than being in the moment, being like, well, now what (laughs) do I tell them? Do I not? Um, And it really does come back to that rapport for me, which is just kind of my orientation anyway, is really valuing and using the therapeutic alliance as the biggest tool in my toolkit in the therapy room. And in hindsight, I think, and even preparing for the podcast, I was thinking more about it. And I think the rapport we had already built was really what allowed this to have such a good outcome because they had that relationship to fall back on and to say, okay, Jenna is looking out for what's best for me. They're looking out for, she's looking out for my child. Um, And so rather than, you know, if we hadn't had that rapport, if it was first session or it was two months in and it was rocky and we didn't have that relationship, then maybe that would have leaned more the other way of like, screw her, <laughs> I'm never going back. So yeah, I really, I would encourage people to build that relationship and really nurture it. I don't think that you can over, you can ever over build rapport. 
Agreed. It's always first in my head too. I love that advice, Jenna. And thank you again for coming back on and sharing this incredible story. I think this is going to be an episode I bookmark and replay. You know, this, Mm -hmm. I don't have stickies on my wall, but I will replay the podcast in the mornings while I'm getting ready for work. So I love that. I encourage you all to do the same. And thanks again, Jenna. Thank you so much for having me. And Jenna, again, just in case people didn't hear your last episode, where can people find you if they want to connect with you outside of the podcast? Oh, sure. Well, I am on the Teletherapist Network. So if you're on the network, I'm sure maybe you've already seen me (laughs) in a consult group or posting. Um, I'm always open to like, you know, you can message me separately on there too. I love, I love talking to like students and interns and things like that because that's I had that guidance and so I love to give that back so certainly you can find me there I'm also on LinkedIn um (laughs) so easy to find me there I'm in Jenna Humphreys in Northeast Ohio so you can find me there Thank you again, Jenna, so much. Such an amazing episode. I know we'll talk to you on the network, um, but thank you again just for sharing this story. Thank you. And that's it. The OG bad therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for the week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast or wanting to level up the one you already have, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at air effect And don't forget, we're all bad therapists. <laughs>